This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bo. And this week we're headed into the dark, loving embrace of the wilderness with Acid Wizard Studios' Darkwood. Released in 2017, Darkwood is a top-down survival horror game set within a semi-open wilderness of a 1980s Soviet bloc country. Though, as is usually the case, the woods are not quite what they seem as it grows and spreads like a plague, spreading a disease that turns the residents into monsters. So... It's a little bittersweet covering this game this month, considering that (laughs) it is the game's sixth anniversary from its release, but also it was announced, I believe, the week prior to our recording that Acid Wizard Studio is essentially going on an infinite hiatus, Um, and they had said that the studio would aim to try to come together once again in the period of about five to ten years, which... You know, who's we can't uh, see into the future quite that far. Hopefully they will uh, come together and whatnot. But the studio announced that this was a decision um, to sort of allow the developers to focus more on, you know, family time and these things. And the fact that um, perhaps whatever kind of situation they had going on was um, chaotic and a little bit detrimental to, you know, the work life balance and everything. Um, But they had also said, which I think was the most interesting part. They had been in talks with other developers about continuing to develop either of their IPs, which is, of course, Darkwood, but also they also have a uh, sports game called Soccer Kids. Yeah. Um, and I thought that that was interesting, just the fact that, you know, they are looking to continue with both of these IPs and with Darkwood specifically. Um, I believe they have a update coming out fairly f- soon to sort of just, you know, quality of life things and whatnot, but it was interesting to see a studio that's stepping away, but is offering up these IPs potentially to, uh, you know, investors or developers and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, the thing to note with this is that it sounds like it's basically the work culture was not good. And uh, we've seen that come up a lot in the past with a lot of companies, but yeah, this is uh, definitely the extreme end of solutions in terms of, uh, like you know, instead of like, well, we could try making it better, or we could just not go back for five years. <laughs> but uh, it's like, you know, I mean, I mean, does the studio really exist when it's been away for that long? I mean, I suppose right. studio, studio Ghibli did it, so you know, anyone can sort of just go, fuck it, I'm going home, and then just come back like that. But it's a rare thing that that would ever happen like that. So yeah, smart probably to have. The IP name of made, you know, being out there, let other people maybe build on it and uh, see where it goes. But yeah, that, that's it's crazy because you know with that update, the fact that they'd only recently done next, you know, not next gen, current gen version of Darkwood as well. It's like it does just feel like they're getting everything out the door like that and just done before they did all this. Yes, it's troubling. And um, you hate to see that happens 
to be reported a lot, especially with Polish studios, we get a lot of this. You know, um, in the working conditions, we had that with uh, Techland, mm. Dying Light ones. I think even you know, CD Projekt Red. There was aspects of that as well. Um, so yeah, it's unfortunate that we have to have this extreme response for a studio, but um, yeah, hopefully everyone's covered by that, and uh, it's not just them saying you're all fired, we're closing the company sort of mm. thing. Yeah, and it's, I suppose, the best decision to get ahead of the, you know, the typical thing where you have uh, developers that perhaps don't exactly have the most conducive work environments that then, you know, has these drastic impacts on the development cycle and these things. And then you have a studio that perhaps announces a sequel six months down the line. There's nothing. Let's say two years down the line, there's nothing. You get to like four or five year mark and all of a sudden, you know, you wake up one morning on Twitter and there's one of those messages that says, uh, you know, we need more time. And then that just keeps going and going and snowballing and snowballing and snowballing. And then, of course, you know, as uh, fandoms tend to be, uh, I'm sure there would be a great deal of sort of backlash and whatnot. So, you know, you are always in support of developers and studios, you know, making a decision that's best for the workers and whatnot. And what's more important than that work-life balance. But, you know, in getting to revisit Darkwood this week, again, it is very bittersweet because this is a game that like right away, I think does a good job of standing out from not only other survival horror games, but I would say specifically isometric games, whether they be survival horror or otherwise. You know, mm. one thing that right from the jump that I was surprised that I had forgotten about Darkwood is that this world is so incredibly detailed. Sometimes when I've been playing more modern top-down games, no matter the genre, there's been a tendency sometimes to utilize that style or that perspective because you know there's clearly going to be some limitations when i'm talking about primarily like indie games right mm. and you know i was really taken with again in revisiting darkwood the fact that that world is so rich with detail to the degree that you know while on paper you might be able to say like oh you know you're just kind of like traipsing through the woods i feel like the game is very expressive in each of those different types of environments that you're coming across whether it is quite simply just wandering through the woods or more importantly, once you get to various landmarks and whatnot. Mm. Um, how did you feel sort of just about the world building in general and the sort of uh, utilization of that art style for Darkwood? Uh, yeah, I mean, when you do it right, you can get a, a good amount of style with this. You know, I mean, the, the biggest indie example of that is Hotline Miami, isn't it? When you think about it, you know, having that top-down unit works in so many ways. Here, I think, it works mainly because it translates what we're used to in survival horror sense um, into a top-down environment. So, you know, limited visibility, it works in a certain way, you know, like that. And, you know, the idea of not being able to see around corners. And I think I've seen it described as being, basically being like fog of war, basically, but for everything and that you're not looking at all times. And I like that. Yeah. Um, again, I think the other thing is because it contains the right, mix of sound, you know, to sort of, you know, inform you of the things you cannot see and kind of guide you on your way. And yeah, I think when we go into, the, like, the game's, like, backstory, folklore, or whatever you want to call it, it's got an ambiguity to it, which is makes it intriguing. You know, it's, nothing's really pointed out to you outright, you know, um... And I think the prologue is great in the sense that it does inform you of a lot of what you've got to do and tells a little mini story that uh, feeds into everything as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's got a really interesting world. And as you said, the, the detail of it is immense for a sort of top-down environment. You know, that's it's art rather than, you know, many of these games we've, talk about that have that top-down perspective they tend to be you know very pixelized sort of pixel heavy sort of style um and this is you know this hand-drawn sort of style of feel to everything as you go through and yeah there's something unnerving about having it from that angle i think as well you know like in terms of like i said the translation of what you cannot see but you can hear like that and you know i think the prologue again gives a really good example of that early on you know like the getting into that room and like literally just going around a corner and getting jumped like that and yeah it, it's 
from the off telling you how this world is and how bleak it is and how oppressive it can be and yeah I, I think it's you know quite a commendable job they've done in that regard I was absolutely floored by the fact how you know I suppose how well this game really does um, abide by that ideology with a lot of like horror storytelling where it's you give the player or you give the viewer you know, little breadcrumbs about the world. You don't necessarily explain everything outright because then it's like, okay, well, if I have all the answers, all of a sudden this world's a lot less interesting. And yeah. with Darkwood, the world itself evokes so many questions about, you know, the location that you're in. What are these creatures? What are these beings? Why are certain things operating this way? And it's a game that, you know, it really thrives in that vagueness. And the fact that it is that vague and, it, you know, you get some answers periodically, but it's a fine line, right, between being vague and then just being confusing or something along those yeah. lines. And this game does a great job, I think, of straddling that line. And something you mentioned a minute ago, which is the portraits, right? So when you get into certain interactions with NPCs that are passive, you get one of these like really gorgeously dark fantasy, dark horror uh, portraits that's drawn. And you know that's for up there for the uh, remainder of your conversation or interaction with them. And I love how varied each of them are. And at the same time, it doesn't necessarily make a commentary on why, you know, there's a wolf with an AK-47 or why there's this uh, gas mask or uh, sort of diver looking guy that's got like a blade for an arm or something. And there's no explanation again for like the morphology of anything. It's just, this is a weird place and there's lots of weird people within it. And yeah. it works in a way that again, it really is uh has the player just questioning everything, but not to the degree where I became frustrated or something like that. No. Uh, because I think the l more that you explore this world and, you know, truly realize just how hostile it is, that weirdness, if anything, makes it that much more unsettling. When, and that, of course, leads into the, uh, you know, survival horror aspect of the game. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, you are just accepting of the situation after a certain point and its rules and it's, you learn the hard way in this game. Let's let's be uh, upfront on that. Yeah, in many many ways, you learn why you shouldn't run. You learn why you should, you know, plan your route out. You learn how you got to make every move count. And for a game that is very much built upon the idea of like, oh, you know, this we don't like jump scares, so we didn't we made a game that wasn't about jump scares. And it's like, yeah, technically that's true. You know, it's like there's no, you know, organized set piece jump scares really. Uh, but you get that whole system anyway in place in this world because of the things you learn about it and the creatures in it, either by conversations or by seeing them yourself afterwards or hearing them yourself. And yeah, they, they can make their own little jump scares in those moments where you have like, you hear the noise of thing, you know roughly where it is, but you know that it means you have to turn around to see it like that. And yeah, it's got, it, like I said, it really does replicate that idea of like something's behind you, but you don't really want to turn around and check like that. But you're looking down and technically you should be able to see it, but you can't because of the way the game was. And yeah, it's a world where you constantly feel in danger, never feel at ease. Yeah. And that's the thing you learn about it very early on is that it is a place that is just dangerous and twisted. Yeah. You know? And, um, it, that's affected everything in it. You know, while they doesn't have the traditional jump scares or these sort of cinematic set pieces that scares are the focal point of, it's a world and, you know, the atmosphere is so finely crafted, as we've mentioned, that it produces these little organic moments that end up being jump scares, but not in that traditional sense. It's more so that, you know, there are certain limitations, of course, when you're out at night, you have yeah. that cone of light that barely, you know, breaks the fog of war, if you will. At the same time, the sound design is really, really phenomenal in this. And shout out to the uh, composer Artur Cordes, who has crafted, you know, a score that I think does a great job of being sort of this dark ambient music, but it feels like it is truly unique to this world because it has that, of course, woodland aesthetic to it. But then there's also this almost sort of, uh, I suppose, eldritch uh, vibe to the music itself. And, you know, more importantly, I think, the sort of the swath of the different types of, you know, sound design that's in this, not just from the score, but more importantly, again, more evoking of creatures that you can't see or mm. exploring certain environments. Like 
there are some environments when you're going through um, interiors, come across a cabin, or if you're in your own safe house, right? Sometimes you step on things and you hear that creak of wood or you hear something yeah. shuffle around the corner. And those little moments end up having you more on edge, mostly because of the fact that, you know, this is the survival part of this game. And that's not to say that this game has like a brutal punishment for death. There's definitely a penalty for death. But mm. I think overall, it's a game that really just keeps snowballing all these different features. And if anything, at the end of it, it just bolsters that, uh, you know, survival horror nature in a way that we don't see all that often with top down, right? Because if you think about it, what's the go-to for horror majority of the time, it's going to be first person. And so to have a game like this, that takes that top down viewpoint, and yet it's just as strong as perhaps some of its first person counterparts or something along those lines, you know, you would assume you being that far removed from your character, like there's going to be a decent amount of disconnect perhaps from being in the yeah. moment. And that's never the case. And if anything, um, it is built around that viewpoint in a way that doesn't feel like it was just sort of settled upon because of perhaps maybe limitations or something like that. It really does utilize that top-down perspective to the uh, best of its abilities. Yeah. yeah it's um, fantastic in that regard. And a thing I noticed with this recent paper is because I played the PS5 version yeah, and that's got some dual sense haptic stuff going on you know in terms of when you're having to swing your arm back and to hit something like that you 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 get that resistance on the trigger that sort of stops you from going all the way back yeah like that and then it really feels the fud of hitting something like that it adds something special to it and you know the audio just pops even more for instance it's yeah just such a messy nasty world in that regard isn't it just it's uh, it's like you, you feel everything it's certainly one of those you know survival horror games that makes you approach each instance of combat with almost the same degree of caution that you did the first time right because the first mm. few times you venture out into the day or the night and you're sort of exploring you know you approach things very cautiously because you're not sure you know how hard enemies hit you of course don't have a great lay of the land because you know, every time you die, basically, or every playthrough, the um, the world kind of regenerates in a different uh, layout and yeah. whatnot. And so, you know, you go in cautiously from that regard. But then I think more importantly, how quickly, and this is the case with a lot of survival games, how quickly situations can get out of control if mm. you are not properly prepared every time you venture out. Um, and I think that that probably tends to have me play games a little more cautiously than I should sometimes the detriment to uh, how productive I am and I'm scavenging or, you know, how long something takes for me to actually accomplish because I'm kind of like taking these baby steps into the world because I, you know, am aware of the penalty of if you die when you're out scavenging, you automatically lose 50% of whatever you scavenged. But, you know, if you return to the place of your death, then you can, of course, just grab those again. But yeah. um, ultimately, I find that once in a while, when I do take that leap of faith and I trek out just a little bit further or I go out when I'm not, you know, 100 uh, percent equipped to handle any situations thrown at me, sometimes those end up being the most rewarding moments from a game such mm -hmm. as this, where it's like this little anecdote that I have. It ends up being something where it's like sometimes I die, sometimes I escape by the skin of my teeth. And either way, you know, it makes for an experience or just sort of a scavenging run that ultimately might be more memorable than go collect whatever 10 dog hides or something like that. Right. Sometimes just the rewards of an environment for, you know, uh, pursuing my own curiosity of an environment or a section yeah. of the map I haven't explored sometimes can be just as rewarding as something that was, you know, scripted. Yeah. Does it, you know, it's only recently we were talking about dredge and having a similar thing of just feeding that curiosity to make you go further than you want to go and further you may be prepared to go. And, you know, I, it, Playing this after that again, it's you know, very clear the sort of similarities in that. Um, but they're both survival games that happen to be survival horror games as well, in that they are open ended in some ways, but they have an endpoint. You know, there's a, a goal to finish this game, you know, so you aren't the game isn't structured in a way that kind of punishes you to make your kids keep having to do busy work constantly, constantly, constantly doing picking up this, that, and everything just in case sort of thing. It's 
always funneling you towards that end objective. But, you know, how you get there is the flexible part, the, the bit where you can tell your own stories and play it differently a second time. And, you know, that that is the preferable way to do it if you're going to do survival. You know, not everything has to be, you know, a Minecraft where you have, like, you know, infinite possibilities and no real end direction for a long time without uh, a lot of busy work. So, yeah, games like this are great in that, you know, they have that, goal you know that you can really just aim for that know that's what you're going for and yeah you there's stuff in the middle just where you can make things up on the fly and see how it goes and uh, you know that, that's the experience is different than for everyone in that regard yeah and i think that that's where the different acts come in right where you have you know the prologue as you mentioned but then you know act one is basically set in this uh wilderness setting and then act two once you get through a certain sort of uh milestone that then you know gives you a little bit more of a narrative uh understanding of your mission and your goal and these things and then it mm. opens up to a whole new environment and a whole new section of the game which i think is exactly what you're talking about right the fact that you have these milestones but there's no pressure really to get to them within you know the confines of a traditional more linear experience yeah. and you know for the minecraft example right that was the type of thing that I couldn't get into that game after maybe 20 hours of, you know, harvesting resources, the novelty of building all of these crazy concoctions and whatnot and mm. bases. But then when it came time to think what's next, and there wasn't at that time when I played the game, like there wasn't a milestone of a narrative goal or even just, you know, try to build this or defeat this creature, which, you know, are things that have been added later on. But that was always my hang up. And that's my hang up, honestly, with some other survival games, which hmm. I think we're seeing more of leaning towards, you know, dredges and Darkwood, um, where, you know, there are, there is a narrative, but it's not always the focal point. You're not being reminded of it every 90 seconds. You're not getting, yeah. you know, that, that codec call or something where it's like, Hey, have you done this? Have you done that? And the freedom that we have with games such as this and dredge, I think it just ultimately, it ends up being, my preferred experience because then, you know, like we've been saying with little anecdotes and these things, but at the same time, like the mechanics support that, which I yeah. love because if anything, I could, if I want to go out and, you know, I'm a little more cautious, I'm going to go out and I'm going to scavenge even if, you know, I have this next item that then lets me unlock, you know, the next milestone or the next story segment and whatnot. But I have the freedom and there's not, there isn't a uh, stopwatch, you know, in the corner mm -hmm. that's saying basically like, Hey, you got an hour and then you need to kind of move on or you have some type of, you know, gameplay element that's pushing you constantly, which personally I'm yes. not always a fan of when you get a survival game that's a little <laughs> more pushy perhaps or something along those lines. Um, but what I'm really a fan of also is the way in which this game incorporates the day-night cycle and is very true to the sort of survival horror roots of this mm -hmm. game, right? So during the day, you can, of course, have more visibility, and that's when you're going to primarily do your scavenging. And then at night, as with most survival games, you really don't want to be caught out wandering around in the dark. Not only is your visibility much more limited, but you have these monsters that are a lot more aggressive and basically kind of make yeah. a beeline for you and your safe house. And that adds a really fun sort of dichotomy to the day-night cycle in that, you know, if you decide to fuck around during the day and you're scavenging and you're careless or maybe you're not paying attention to where you've already sort of explored. Well, it, when it comes time to guard your safe house at night and you didn't find, you know, either oil or some type or gasoline to, you know, power your generator or you weren't foraging certain things that you can, you know, eventually mm -hmm. upgrade and get these perks that end up making you, uh, you know, a little more versatile with handling threats. You know, that entire sort of day-night cycle um, I feel like allowing gameplay to play out in two different sort of camps, if you will, where it's more passive and then more combat focused, but having a limitation around combat because you're pretty much just confined to your um, house, it makes for like a Night of Living Dead segment almost where it's kind of yeah. like, okay, I got to board up the windows, I got to plant some traps, and then if they get in, which, you know, naturally they always do at some point, um, you really have to take those lessons that you've learned in a more relaxed setting of combat, which is during the day and apply it to a situation that's a lot more tense. Um, what did you kind of think of the way in which they handled that day and night 
and the uh, you know the contrasting elements of those uh, periods of play. Yeah, the first thing that came to mind for me was the Omega Man, you know, um, I Am Legend sort of thing, you know, where you have that qu- quieter in this case, uh, quite quiet day, and then yeah, you really have to hole up for the night to have any chance, and you're not safe even then, you know, if you haven't prepared properly. And yeah, that in itself is intense because you know early doors, your sense of what light is light and isn't light is hard to grasp. Like apart from that little reminder you get saying you know I should do this, I should get back, you know, that sort of thing. But yeah, you you got to get a feel for it. You know, the nights go on for a bit as well, which is always a bit of an iffy one. Um, Another game it quite reminded me of that obviously was in development before this and after this is uh, Project Zomboid, which you know is very much uh, the the nights there are much like that where you are just waiting for something to happen. You don't want to accidentally give yourself away and you've barricaded it up and then you hear something knocking or rapping or whatever at the door or the window and the word last thing you want to hear is something breaking and that's it. Yeah, and yeah, that that's tension where that sound is there. Design comes in. Oh yeah, and then you know it, it's the perfect sort of use of sound in that regard because yeah, every thump at a door, every little footstep outside is just there, you know, like that they thought of so much in terms of developing the soundscape outside of where you are that yeah, you're just paranoid about where it's coming from next, not because you can't hear anything, and you know something's just going to jump out of nowhere like that. It's just yeah, the fact that you are just being constantly mocked by this sound design, like they're over there, they're over there. Yeah, I think you know, sometimes it's just giving the impression there's more out there than there is, you know, which has, I, you know, on occasion, you you if you're stupid enough to go out there, you, know, you, you kind of get find that out that it's not quite as bad as it sounds. And sometimes it is just trick sounds to sort of motivate you to stay indoors and, you know, hash it out for a bit. But uh, yeah, it's great to get that feeling of like shit i gotta get back do i remember where i'm going because you know the map is super vague and you are you are really having to remember where you've been where you're going back and forth like that um again these are reasons why it is a really great mix of survival and survival horror is you know the resource management you know limited weaponry things like that but also that whole cycle of like daytime's fine, go back for night, like that. But it's on extreme mode, if you will, and yeah, it is such a sort of thrill, you know, to get that to that point where you are just about to make it back in time, or, or you don't make it back in time, or you forgot you left the door open, or you forgot you left a window unboarded, and things like that. And it's just yeah, you, you feel it in those moments. Let's put it that way. You you rarely go unpunished in those moments. Well, the first time I played the game when it was actually released, I remember um, because of the vagueness of the map, I took my iPad at the time and like took a picture of the map and then was taking notes with a stylus on mm. the different sections that I explored just so that you have those reminders. And, you know, in revisiting it, I didn't do it that time. But at the same time, you know, um, it was exciting to travel into an environment and then to get caught up in the, the sort of either the daytime events that can occur or, you know, the night siege and begin to forget just a little bit because at the same time, you know, it is just as exciting to venture into these areas. And if anything, um, I find that when I began to forget sort of the layout of certain areas, it was probably time to move on to the next section, um, which was kind of the natural, perhaps uh, a natural sort of way to nudge me along. I was like, oh no, that's starting (laughs) to look familiar. I forgot what was over here, but now I remember, okay, now it's time to finally move on to the next section. But you know, to come back for a sec to the ramifications of death, right? We talked about with scavenging, you lose half your loot. But during the night, what that prevents you from, you know, earning if you survive the night is essence, essentially, which, or mm-hmm. I believe it's reputation, sorry, reputation that yeah. um, allows you to basically get favors uh, from the trader that shows up the next night, which then you can buy resources or other equipment and these things. And Naturally, if you die, you don't get that reward for making it through the night. But, you know, even still, that is a penalty, but it's not a penalty to the degree of something like a roguelite, right? Where all of a sudden you have this massive, either starting from square one 
or you just lose a bunch of pivotal equipment that you basically mm. spent all this time scavenging. Because if it was that way, then all of a sudden there's sort of this animosity that slowly begins to build and build and build and build yeah. where all of a sudden I've dwindled through all my gear. I get pissed off and then I don't want to play anymore. And that's not the case <laughs> um, with this game. And I think that the distinction between penalties with death between the day and the night, of course, adheres to the importance of not ever allowing yourself to kind of become complacent, I suppose, with the types of threat, no matter the type of day and night. And uh, when we yeah. come back from our break, I want to dive a little bit more into the gameplay of Dark Wood and uh, you know some of the threats that are out there in the wilderness waiting for us. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back from our break. And I was just thinking during the break, um, you know, with the night cycle, and I had referenced earlier the uh, uh, night, <laughs> night of the Living Dead sort of feel of that, of running around, laying traps, repairing the boards and whatnot. Um, I feel like that is probably the best sort of test, I suppose, of, you know, are you utilizing your time when you are, you know, scavenging during the day? to the best of your abilities. Cause that really is the first test for combat outside of the prologue. Right. And I always found personally that when I was scavenging, it was on the way back to my, you know, hideout um, just before night that I would try to get into one or two combat encounters to use that basically as like a test for yeah. either new equipment or even new strategies. Right. And I think that this game does a great job of balancing not only melee and ranged combat, but also giving players more stealth options so you don't have to go into every fight, you know, whenever you see a monster, but at the same time, you can utilize different types of equipment to get out of fights. And, you know, my go-to was always, if I, you know, got into a fight that was a little out of my wheelhouse at the moment, or whether I was low on health or didn't have the right equipment to go into a fight, um, I would throw a piece of bait while I was running away, which then lures yeah. some of the dogs or even other monsters that uh, perhaps have an inkling for uh, human flesh or stranger <laughs> flesh for that matter. Um, and I think that it's interesting, you know, after becoming more familiar with like some of the Souls games, um, the emphasis on stamina in this, not only from a melee yeah. standpoint for different types of attacks, but also just your ability to run and to evade. Um, mm. So, again, like talking about perhaps maybe some of my uh, hesitation about a top down survival horror game, but this game really does abide by the core foundation of a survival horror game in probably the best way possible. Um, and I think that's part of why. You know, you can never really approach combat uh, as an afterthought, even once you get into the later hours of the game because of that. Yeah, like I said earlier, you feel every time you miss a swing or something yeah. like that. And the fact that you have to be looking at something to see it most of the time, it means that, you know, you are going to fuck yourself if you swing and go the wrong yeah. way and then you've got to realign yourself, find out where it is. It, it just adds that tank like control thing that you know we used to know, love in its own way because it had that sort of nightmare feel to it where you're not quite in control in the way you want to be even though you have a fairly flexible amount of control of the character in terms of what they can do but yeah that, that in itself is just such a big factor in why you try and avoid combat you know it's it's not that the combat's bad or anything i think it's it's as rough and ready as it needs to be for the situation you're in and you know, with the limited resources you have, I mean, seeing games with a similar sort of grim, grimy outlook, where yeah, you have guns and whatever, and it, it yeah, 
it works to a degree, but it's you don't ever feel threatened in the same way. You know, you, you always feel like you could just swing away and um, be all right. But here it is, yeah, you, you have to be cold and calculated in everything you do. And uh, planning is just as much a part of combat as it is of anything else you do in this game. Yeah, I think that that ultimately is what allows the game to continually feel menacing um, in a way that doesn't necessarily feel artificial, right? It doesn't feel like mm -hmm. this game is, or the environment itself is dangerous because of some type of artificial difficulty per se. Like, oh, there's, you know, a monster with four times the hit points or something along those mm -hmm. lines. It's more about, you know, encountering enemies and learning their, you know, movement patterns, but also their attack patterns, right? So yeah. sometimes what I would do is I would almost go out and instead of scavenging for resources, I'd scavenge for information basically about different monsters and the sort of denizens of the woods and go on these little sort of patrols, I suppose, where combat was the focus, but I didn't really have a goal other than just sort of getting a better understanding of the sort of monsters yeah. and the way in which they operate, which, you know, when you're talking about a game that operates largely with, with a lot of vagueness about the world and the way in which things operate, um, it is this sort of old school sensibility, I suppose, which to be fair, a lot of uh, like Eastern European, I feel, uh, games have the sort of sensibility of games that were either from, you know, the 90s to a certain extent in that it's more about the player going out and experiencing things and learning from that experience rather than be told things, um, which ultimately yeah. when it comes to a survival game, that's what gives us those moments that we've been met talking about so frequently, you know, with Dredge and with this of just either funny anecdotes because of the fact that, oh, you know, I tried this and then immediately got jumped by three other guys and lost all my gear or lost half my gear. And then at the same time, you can almost formulate your own strategies because, you know, the first time that I decided to throw a piece of bait, I was unaware of the effect that would have. I just was like, oh, I got to throw something. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, hey, this can be a viable out on encounters, yeah. um, which ultimately uh, is just, you know, organic, <laughs> organic fun, I suppose. I love when you get to play around with the mechanics of a game. And you learn things that you didn't have to have this, you know, paragraph of text basically spell out for you. Um, yeah. But when you are, you know, either in uh, having combat out in the wild or whether it's in your base, you know, a part of this is also like the skill system, right? Which mm -hmm. naturally with how vague and weird the world is, how do you end up leveling up? Well, it's a syringe full of, you know, this hallucinogenic <laughs> essence, basically, um, which kind of, again, speaks to just this very bizarre world and the sort of ways in which things operate. But what I did really like about it, again, the fact that every single mechanic comes back to the survival aspect and even with the skill system in that, you know, you get to pick, I believe it's two positive uh, perks per tier. And then yeah. you always have to take a negative. So there's this RPG almost like balancing to the ability. So every time that you think you're getting stronger in some regard, you also have to take into effect like, oh, hey, there's going to be some type of detriment that's associated with this or just a detriment that comes at the cost of feeling like you're becoming a more viable warrior of the woods, if you will. Um, so, for example, like one of the perks that I took was like Eagle Eye, which lets you see farther. And then I took Moth also, which allows you to heal more quickly near electrical light sources. But then, you know, the detriment... Uh, perk that you would have to pick would be something like shadows, which all of a sudden dark areas are extra dangerous or fearful, which means your sight gets worse temporarily when you get damaged. So there's yeah. this sort of give and pull to everything that really, again, it never allows you to feel sort of the normal path of becoming this person that's more familiar with the mechanics and you're becoming stronger in certain regards, but in the true survival horror nature, like you're never allowed to feel uh, I suppose, like all powerful, right? Because yeah. then all of a sudden the back half of that game is kind of like whatever at that point because you feel like a super soldier, you're feeling vulnerable almost. Mm -hmm. And the way that this game dances around that um, is such a good job of that. Yeah, and you know, you bring up a good point there about the feel of an old school sort of RPG in terms of like, you know, the, the balances like that because there is a lot about this that has that, sort of you know, 90s crpg sort of feel you know those you know, I've, I've seen it mentioned you know like the old fallouts you know, being a, 
good sort of a uh, place to go with this, and you know the developers themselves being people who have said as much. You know, that's one of the influence points. And yeah, maybe that's why it works like it does because they have that sensibility of like these are the games we played, we're growing up, blah blah blah. We wanted to do something in that, but in a different space and with the modern sort of ideas. And yeah, I think that's what gives it its special edge is that it does kind of have the flexibility of almost like an immersive sim sometimes, but not, you know, but more that sort of just free form choice that RPGs used to have, you know, a lot of the time that don't necessarily always have now. So yeah, and again, it goes back to what we were saying before, you know, Open doesn't mean, you know, massive sprawling worlds and you know, all the things you can pick up. You know, it, it means, you know, open to options, open to choice, you know, within a set of confines. And that's exactly what this does. And it has that. Yeah, what I was most surprised by, I think, on my revisit this week of this game was... The fact that in some regards, considering this game came out in 2017, mm. it feels like it is ahead of its time in the way that it combines so many different elements from not only, you know, genres that we cover frequently here, but also, you know, subgenres and yeah. whatnot. And we've, you know, mentioned now that it's got some RPG mechanics. There's a little bit of that immersive sim uh, identity in there, but, you know, that nature of it is tied to, again, player choice and given, you know, the options that typically come with survival games, it Darkwood feels like you have more say in how you approach the world than perhaps mm. you actually do, right? And I think that that is a part of the fact of utilizing that semi-open world, which, you know, we talked about it with Dredge. And I think here it's even more important to have that semi-open world, the feeling of freedom. But at the same time, you can't, you don't have the familiar trappings of, I can go anywhere at any time, which... Yeah. I think of anything when you have those sort of story milestones or world milestones that we've been talking about, that is the best sort of environment for those elements to act as sort of the uh, breadcrumbs to the end goal. But at the same time, the player is still able to have a say in like, well, okay, I'm going to go into this area that I haven't been to yet. And even if there isn't, you know, a mission objective there or the one, you know, a key that you need or something chances are there's going to be something in that area that is rewarding. And, you know, mm. outside of the sort of anecdotal nature that we keep coming back to with exploration and that being rewarding in and of itself, but with a game like this that is so tied to the survival aspect, and this is something that, you know, you can't say about Dredge, really. Um, Dredge, with the survival aspect, it's more, okay, I need to avoid these certain places at certain times or until I've upgraded my boat. But with Darkwood, the fact that, you know, your death always feels like it's ever a couple of minutes away, you know, yeah. that in of itself, it's rewarding when you go into an area and, you know, you don't have a purpose there other than just to scavenge. And sometimes in uh, games that try to do something similar to this, that can feel a little tiresome perhaps, right? It's like, oh, great. Okay. Yeah. I have to go get this many bandages or I have to get this many health kits or something like that. But I find that with a game such as this, that has the day and night cycle that is tied to two different styles of play primarily, you really do have to make those sort of concessions in your scavenging runs or taking additional scavenging runs and delaying, you know, inevitably moving on to the next zone because you know what night is going to be. And that was mm -hmm. one thing that, you know, when we were talking about the night sieges. I looked it up and those moments only last about five minutes. I think it's 11, it's 10 <laughs> or 11 minutes um, for the day cycle. And then it's half of that for the night cycle. And yet the night cycle feels like it's four times longer or sometimes than the uh, day <laughs> cycle, just because of the fact that, you know, it, I suppose it feels longer based upon how you spent the previous day and how, if you have been, you know, hoarding the proper resources and whatnot. Um, but that ends up just being an aspect of survival in a survival horror game that at times when other games have tried something similar, it can feel quite tedious, I suppose. But at least yeah. for me, I found that every single night cycle was just as intense and sort of, uh, you know, 
barely succeeding from the skin of my teeth kind of um, <laughs> even if I was properly stocked because you know you have to manage these different barriers you have to manage whether you've laid the right amount of traps are you taking into consideration your stamina when you start to swing at things are you yeah. looking in the right direction to anticipate an enemy coming in with your cone of vision or your field of vision and that always ends up being something that is very intense very sort of palm sweating but um, I find to be far more rewarding than typical survival games I think where they have they have a combat and they have segments where you know enemies might be drawn to you but I don't know with something like Darkwood it just it feels like it's kind of capturing that uh, silver screen magic of your favorite siege film um, just because of you know the fact that the survival is so emphasized there it's not always just you know the horror aspect it's more about you know it comes back to the player at the end of the day of whether or not they can be successful yeah yeah and um as we've discussed before I, i'm a fan of the whole siege thing you know, and especially you know night of the living dead is one great example as we said yeah john carpenter's assault on precinct 13 is always my other go-to in terms of that but yeah this really does capture the essence of just having to board up buckle up and you know like there's early moments of you know, I Am Legend, the the Omega Man remake uh, of Will Smith, you know, where it, you get that sort of preparation, that cycle of it. All. I, I love that side of it because it, it does just show the downtime and just the preparation needed. And it's cool to see that side of it a bit more. So, yeah, it's a shame with that film, you know, that they kind of shot themselves in the foot with the, the shitty CG and all that. And But, but, what can you do? Charlton Heston was running around, you know, fighting pale things in the original. So you can't have it both ways. Both have something about them in capturing that atmosphere, as well as uh, films like Assault on Precinct 13 do. So yeah, I, anything that captures that, you know, I think you could say yeah, there were those brief moments. You know, people always talk about Resident Evil 4 and you know that you know little siege you have in the house, which you know is. Yeah, good and well, but it's a set piece. You know, it doesn't have something organic to it. It does feel more cinematic, I suppose, in line with what we've been talking about. But I much prefer the game style, you know, they're doing it where you are the one in control of what can get in, what can get out. You know, and in survival games especially, it's one of those things that can really just make memories for you of a game in a way that you never got before, you know, Something we do also go on about a lot is you know, the idea of games that give you a, a failure state that doesn't feel like failure. You know, it, it feels like a learning experience, and you know, it's an anecdote even. And, you know, there is definitely an aspect of that. You know, not watching your corners, not checking the, that window you should have checked, things like that. It's like not bringing enough boards back to board everything up from last time. And, yeah, just. The little mistakes you can make in doing things just make it what it is. You know, I think it's one of those games that if you were playing it again and again, you just want to play it on higher and higher difficulties to give yourself more and more of a, an intense challenge. Yeah, I mean, I think at the highest level is literally die. That's it. Game over. Sort of that. So, yeah, that that in itself is would just be amazing in a way. I think for this game, where you would just feel it, you know, really badly. You know, when you have those situations, everything would really count. The stakes would be super high. But I love that you can scale it down you know, and have you know, the option of you know, dying and you know, having rewards or not for you know, for not dying. But And it still feels viable, still feels intense and atmospheric. But yeah, it it is definitely one of those games, I think, that you could probably appreciate it at its best with the most hardcore aspects of it locked in just so that you can really feel the, the panic and terror of it all. And, but like any game like that, you know, I always like to have played enough of it to get to that point because I, I'd like to be, you want to be familiar and comfortable with the systems and not have that whole thing of going into a game cold and it being fucking brutal, you know, and because that's frustration town, left, right, and center. You'd just be dead every five seconds. You'd be like, <laughs> fuck this game sort of thing like that. So yeah, that, that's always been the optimal way for me. Well, I think also that it is indicative of why this game needs to have that prologue, right? Because that prologue yes. is the perfect sort of 
training wheels moment, if you will, of getting you into this world, teaching you the basic mechanics. And it's scaled in a way that it feels like by the time you get to the beginning of the actual game and you venture out for the first time, you at least have some semblance of, you know, the core mechanics of the game, much as, you know, a typical tutorial would be. But it feels a little more involving than that to the degree that, you know, when you start to venture out right by your base, usually, it's not like you're going to run into an abundance of or horde of enemies, right? Typically, it's, Mm. you know, you see one or two together. Sometimes you might see up to five but the game supports the player's decision whether they want to take a combat or a stealth approach. And at the same time, what I like is that during the day when things are more relaxed, I get to decide the sort of rate at which I want to either focus on combat or focus on stealth. But what I absolutely love about the night portion is that it forces you, no matter how you operate during the daytime, you have to operate in combat mode. And the fact yeah. that you do have to, you really are being tested essentially every night. Was my time during the day, you know, was it worth more than just coming back with a couple of bandages or boards that actually learn something? And, mm. you know, I'm all for player choice. And of course, we're fans of games that give players more choices than not. But I think that it's important, though, for specifically a survival game to force uncomfortable situations on players. Yes. Um, because then, you know, it furthermore, it makes the daytime portion not feel like it is this sort of tedious checklist all the Mm. time, which again is a trapping sometimes of survival games where it's like, okay, I'm going to go out and get 15 blocks of wood and come back before the monsters get me kind of thing. No, if I take more detours, try things that maybe normally I wouldn't, there's something to be learned from that. And ultimately it makes the back half of that game perhaps, uh, you know, I don't know about easier, but it definitely makes me feel a little braver uh, when I venture out and try different things and feel like I have more of a mastery on combat, you know, when eventually things begin to scale and pace to the point where you start to face some of the true eldritch horrors that this game has in store for people. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a game about you can only control what you know, and that's it. And there are things that are going to be different. It's you, know, you can't control where you are on the map. You, you can't control the fact that the next time you play it be a different game, you know, in terms of where things are. Um and you, know, you can't kind of predict where things are going to be in terms of threats and like uh, places you want to be. But you know you can hone down combat, you can hone down your system and routine for doing things and like planning out routes and whatever like that. And that's what you have to focus on. And I, I love that because you know, whilst it is giving you the illusion of like all this stuff you've got to remember, all this stuff that you've got to know. Like that, and really, it just boils down to that. It's like self-preservation. That's all it's about. You know, like get through this. You need to know how to handle yourself, how to protect yourself, and how to sustain yourself. And that's it. And you know, when you boil it down to that, the other stuff almost comes instinctually. You know, you you come into a situation you weren't prepared for in terms of like what it will be. You have the tools at your disposal to go okay but i can handle it if i do this this and this so you know that that's key you know you want to be making a survival game like that where no matter what it throws at you and how unpredictable it can be and that could have been frustrating very easily if you'd had you know and here you know it's not because you have that sense of once you've got used to the rhythm and flow of what you've got to do and how you do it you can handle most things skinnity like say make mistakes but you know, nine times out of ten, you have made the right call. Sometimes it's just not your day. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah, you know, I remember this game being a lot more punishing than I found it to be on this replay. Mm. Um, and, you know, it is always, I think, representative of games that have actually mastered the sort of implementation of the genres or the subgenre influences that they have in that whenever I die, I never sort of Uh, looked at the game and said, well, this is bullshit. It was always, Mm -hmm. you know, a flaw in how I spent my time during the day or the night cycle. And ultimately, you know, while the penalties are not always uh, to the extreme of something like permadeath um, or even just, you know, having to wipe a character and then have gear and whatnot, which is kind of the typical roguelite approach. um, I always found that, you know, everything was worthwhile because it was a teaching moment. And those teaching moments, especially in a game like this, where, the survival aspect is much more emphasized than something like Dredge. Um, that is, 
you know, more important than resources because you could have all the resources in the world, but if you're not being purposefully and, you know, uh, frequently tested with those little moments that are, you know, the hard choices you have to make and whether you're in a fight, run, stealth, approach head on, um, each one of those is that sort of learning opportunity that ultimately is going to carry you to the end of the game. Um, yeah. And I think that with something like Darkwood, again, you know, I could go on for days about, you know, how impressed I am just overall with the presentation of this game. You know, when you talk about a game that is from a indie studio at the same time, you know, you might have this great idea, but does that, is that always translate in the best way possible? And with something mm. like Darkwood, I find that, you know, the more vague aspect of it could have made me roll my eyes, to be frank. You know, we've definitely played uh, some indie games that try to dance within the realm of this dreamlike state of things or be very vague about not over explaining. And it kind of just comes off as like, okay, but I want to know more or I'm not even given enough to be engaged. I'm more just annoyed. And with Darkwood, I think that the presentation and also just the way in which it presents its world as a very matter of fact and giving you the sort of weird, creepy monsters and creatures and things in the world itself just offers up a lot more questions than answers, but you get just enough answers that you are engaged and, you know, the gameplay it helps is uh, as involving as its survival aspects are and whatnot. But, you know, as we said at the top of the show, it was kind of bittersweet getting to revisit this because of the fact that, you know, the studio is effectively shutting down and, you know, maybe we'll revisit uh, Acid Wizard Studio in, you know, five to 10 years, as they say. Um, Mm -hmm. But if, you know, for whatever reason, the studio can't come back together, um, we hope that, you know, the talks that they had with developers about their IPs, specifically Darkwood, were fruitful, right? Because if they don't want to, uh, if they can't rather continue with it, um, I think that they have established, you know, a pretty strong IP for, you know, what is basically, I think their first game, no? I think it was their first main game, yeah. Yeah, their first main game. So, you know, to see something as strong as Darkwood that is uh, so sure of its identity. And I think, you know, as a multitude of uh, genre and subgenre influences, you would at least hope that, you know, somebody would come along that's very capable and continue with that because this is a, a strong, strong foundation. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I admired was that they went for a project so different after this. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, t- a turn based kids' football game. You know, like, mm. it's just intriguing as hell it was like it wasn't until sort of went back into this and realized it was them making it like oh okay it's like that's even wilder you know but yeah it's um a shame that even that might by looks of it just be yeah they're gonna dump it out as it is and whatever and uh that'll be that but yeah it's yeah the legacy is here you know i think this game will probably grow in stature the more years go by i think that's happening to a degree now so yeah, it's a game that we will probably see coming up a lot in years to come in terms of when people go, oh yeah, all these underrated horror games of this year or that year or whatever. It's definitely going to be there. Atmosphere alone, I think. I think one of the smartest things about it is the developers don't care for jump scares and that was good because that means they didn't try for them, you know, and they tried for the atmosphere and the feeling of it and I think that's always what you want to go for first you know you don't go into your game plan out where your jump scares are blah 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 like that just and make that the the sticking point because you know if you do that you're not really making horror in the traditional sense you are making you know a ghost train and that's it you know and fine if you are making it is a literal ghost train but yeah this is not that kind of thing this is full of that sort of eastern european flavor you know if like everything's bleak everything's brutalist and everything's got a you know anything that's involving the woods seems to be fucked up yeah that, that's great yeah so yeah it, it's doing a great job of that and um it has that distinct flavor which uh, you're not going to find um you know anywhere else i think uh, you think of some of the games we've talked about over the years that have that you know you like you know, the Stalker games, you know, for instance, you know, they, they, they very much are informed by where they were made and who they were made by. And yeah, this is definitely another case of that where you can feel that Eastern European sort of, you know, yeah, it's bleakness at its heart. That's all it is. It's just, you know, it's like a, a very cynical, matter of fact way 
of uh, presenting terrible things. And yeah, it, it, it can work when done right like this. So yeah, full credit to them. Well, what I love, you know, last thing I'll say is just like, I love the Eastern European bleakness because when it comes to the narrative, the narrative is never about typically saving the world because the world no. is already fucked and it's more about making the best of a very bad situation. Uh, and I think that that's the proper way to go about, you know, whether it's narrative or environmental storytelling with a game such as this, because ultimately um, it makes it, I think, I think the details of the world itself pop in a manner that just makes it that much more unique and it avoids maybe some more cliched uh, sort of approaches to a narrative. Because with something like this, it's like it's very much about the individual and it's very about these transactional relationships that you have with everybody that you meet that, you know, is not trying to rip your limbs off or something like that. So if anything, each one of those interactions is more meaningful because it's furthering your understanding rather than this, okay, we got to save the world and everything will go back to the way it was, which, you know, yeah. doesn't necessarily uh, always make for the most inspired storytelling. But um, that's going to do it for our chat this week about Darkwood. Um, we're very excited to chat about our halfway games of the year so far next week, which Neil and I will be, uh, you know, rattling off our top five games of the year for 2023 so far. Um, and we'll dive into those in more detail. Maybe there'll be a surprise or two along the way. Uh, there definitely was last year. So we'll see for uh, what 2023 has in store for us. But as always, Neil, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Back at you. Until the next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can follow our Twitter account for Horror Bites also at HorrorBites underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And last but not least, you can email us at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.